Welcome, everybody, to the Majority Decision Podcast. I am your host, Greg The Truth, back on the podcast airwaves, coming to you live from the great state of Texas in the Parts Unknown studio. It's a beautiful Saturday night, and I'm here to bring to you all the latest news in the world of mixed martial arts and, and, The world of professional wrestling. That's right, fans. Professional wrestling is being added to the Majority Decision podcast for the comeback. I, like you and probably most of everybody else in the United States, has a lot of extra time on our hands. So I decided, hey, why not? Let's make another run at this podcast thing. Uh, I know a lot of my friends have been trying to get me back into it. So a big shout out to Tim Unglesby of Heatwave Sports Radio. He's always a big encourager of mine. We go way back, about 10 years. He's been on the air in Las Vegas on 1340 AM Fox Sports Radio uh, for uh, almost over 10 years now. So I want to give a shout out to him. I also want to give a shout out to my former co-host, who will probably be dipping in. I'm sure we'll hook up again. The black belt, Mr. Fayaz. He and his buddy Lee are over at Head Trauma on YouTube. I want you to encourage you to go out and check that out on YouTube. They're dropping content every few days about all different kinds of things, not just MMA, not just sports in general, but pretty much anything they can come up with. Two funny guys uh, who just uh, share what's on their mind. So go check them out. That's Head Drama on YouTube. On the show today, we're going to be talking a little UFC 249. Fight Island is a thing. We're going to talk about that. We're going to look back at how WrestleMania went theatrical. WrestleMania was held in the Performance Center in front of no fans, but they did broadcast it live on the network and on pay-per-view. So we're going to take a little little look back on that. We're going to take a dip into the news bag and take a look at what's going around the world of MMA and pro wrestling in general. A little AEW, and then a new segment I like to call Do You Remember That Time When? We'll close the show out with that. In the meantime, I want to thank everybody for downloading. I want to thank everybody for listening. I want to wish everybody a safe, safe next couple of months as we get through this COVID-19 pandemic just want to say we're going to make it through this thing we're going to fight through it we're going to push through it and if you've lost loved ones if you've lost friends definitely our condolences and prayers are with you but look we're tough tough times don't last forever but tough people do if there's anything i know about my fellow americans fellow people in general we're tough we're going to fight through this we're going to get through it so don't be too anxious too upset too hurt because we are going to get through this i'm telling you that Let's get into it. Let's get to the show. UFC 249, finally, what's going to bring us the fight we've all been waiting for. Khabib Nurmagomedov defending, defending the UFC lightweight championship against Tony Ferguson. We were finally going to get it. All the stars were aligned. No injuries, nothing happening. And then all of a sudden we're hit with this COVID-19 And all sports as we know it are completely shut down. And it looks like UFC 249 is going to be shut down with it. But Dana White comes in and he says, no, we're we're having this fight. We're going through with the card. Everybody else is shut down. Baseball shut down. Basketball shut down. Hockey shut down. But the UFC was planning to continue on without fans. They were going to air this card. Dana White goes out. He secures a location. The Tachi Palace Casino. In California. And it looks like we got ourselves a fight. We got ourselves a fight card. And a good fight card. 
was lined up for UFC 249. And then the senator, one of the senators there in California, steps in and puts the kibosh on the whole thing at UFC 249. As you know, I'm sure you do, is completely canceled. A little bit of drama went on before that when Khabib Nurmagomedov gets caught up in Russia. He gets stuck in Russia. He's not even going to make it to the once-happening UFC 249. So Dana White's got to scramble to find a replacement. He's able to write a check big enough to get Justin Gaethje to show up. But it just wasn't meant to happen. And think about it. This is a fight. Khabib Nurmagomedov and Tony Ferguson. They tried to put this fight together five times before. Maybe even six. And it just wasn't meant to be. It looked like this was going to be the one. And again, it's not meant to be. The whole entire card gets canceled. But I'm sure that they're going to come back and they're going to make that fight. They're going to make that fight one way or the other. Dana White says he's got something else up his sleeve. They might be able to stop him stateside. Dana White says he's going to take the UFC. He's going to take fake fight cards. And he's going to move them to an island. Fight Island is a real thing, apparently. Not just a joke. Not just an internet joke. Not just a Twitter joke. But Fight Island is a real thing. Dana White is locking it up as we speak. Apparently, he's setting up an island at a location to be named or maybe even not to be named at some point in the future. He's setting up a cage. He's setting up the things needed to hold UFC events. And I guess we'll see what happens. Of course, a lot of people are very critical of the UFC and their decision to continue to go against the grain and hold events in this very tough time that we're going through. It's been a lot of battles back and forth between MMA fans and MMA media on Twitter. If you're an active Twitterer, like I try to be. And let me just say this. One of the things that I think has been sat lost in all this is, you know, everybody's got an opinion. No matter what side you land on, if you think the fight should happen, if you think they shouldn't, I think everybody can make some sort of an argument one way or the other. And if I had to be pushed up against the wall and make a decision on whether or not I thought that they should or they shouldn't, I would just say, given everything that's going on, let's not do it. Let's not have the fights. Let's just wait. Let's see this thing through. Let's come back together. And then try to make it happen when all this is over, when we're back to some similitude of normal, whatever that's going to be. But one of the things that, that I think always bothers me on Twitter, and it's one of the things that kind of bothers me about Twitter, but I guess it kind of just is its own animal and kind of becomes what Twitter seems to be all about. And that's the fact that if you've got an opinion different than somebody else's, then you're stupid. And apparently a lot of people in the MMA media feel that way. That if you're not morally behind the shutting down of any UFC or sporting event, that you're just not a very smart person. And you're not a very moral person. These MMA media types shout from their self-righteous pedestals down to the little MMA, media, MMA fan that just wants to see fights. And I got to say, while I agree in a lot of ways that maybe maybe the fight shouldn't happen, at the end of the day, it's the fighter's decision. It's the decision of the people that participate. 
It's a decision of the people that choose to fight. Look, Dana White's not making anybody fight. UFC's not making anybody fight. UFC's not making those refs referee. He's not going to make those judges judge. He's not going to make those coaches coach. It's all by their choice. And if they want to do that, if they want to make that decision, that they want to load up in a bus or a boat or a submarine or a rocket ship or whatever they're going to have to get into to get to Fight Island and go out and fight and try to make money, that's their decision. And for any MMA fan that has that is of the opinion that they want to see the fights happen, that's their opinion. And guess what? They have a right to it. And I think it's pretty low rent for people to try to look down and make people feel stupid or break out every big word that you know in the thesaurus to try to knock these people down that have opinions. Look, we're all going through tough times. We've all got big, tough decisions to make. A lot of people get up every day and they go to work. They don't know if they're going to get sick. They don't know if they're going to encounter people with COVID-19 or not. But they get up and they go to work because they have to. Because they need to make money to provide for their family. Well, guess what? So do the UFC fighters. Fighting just happens to be their job. And if somebody's going to open up their doors and allow them to make money, then guess what? If they choose to do that, then I think they have a right to do that. If that is an option. But I don't want to go off on too big of a rant on that because, look, everybody's got an opinion. Everybody's entitled to their opinion. And my opinion isn't better than the next guy's. My opinion isn't better than any of the self-righteous members of the media out there or any fan out there. But, man, let's just take, take a few steps back and just laugh at the fact that there is going to be or there is at least a potential for an actual fight island. Man. Who would have ever thought that we'd see something like that? Who would have ever thought that we'd ever that we'd ever be talking about it in that kind of way? It's like something out of a movie. It's like something out of a Bruce Lee movie. But who knows? I mean, who knows if that'll even work out? I know Dana White's going to do everything that he can. And here's another thing that I want to throw out there. A lot of people have been hard on Dana White, and rightfully so, for a lot of things over the years. He said a lot of things. He's done a lot of things um, spitefully and uh, angrily, but you know, I used to cover MMA, I covered MMA for about seven years for the Examiner in Dallas, dot com in Dallas. And you know, anytime I ever had an opportunity to uh, speak with Dana very briefly in any of those occasions, he was always nice, always uh, uh, courteous, and uh, treated from what I could see everybody with respect. But uh, you know, I, I, I think he's an easy target right now. But what I think everybody needs to remember is, look, Dana White's got bosses. Dana White has bosses, too. It's not just his decision. He's got bosses that make those decisions. Do the fights go on? Do the fights not go on? But I get it. It's easier to throw shade at Dana White because he's the face of the UFC as opposed to trying to sh throw shade to a faceless ownership group where there's really no figure to point at. But the reality is that Dana White has bosses that owe billions of dollars in loans, and those loan payments aren't stopping. Dana White and the UFC have partners, distribution partners that require content, and they want content in order to fulfill that part of their agreement and their contract. And so there's a lot more at stake than just Dana White just trying to make some guys fight and put some fights together. 
And I know what you're saying, money's not everything, and of course it's not, but it's also a reality. So maybe we just need to lighten up a little bit to see where everything goes. Speak your mind, but don't be so angry about it. Look, there's a lot of other things that we need to be angry about right now. Whether or not they're going to have some MMA fights on a on an island unknown is kind of low on my list. UFC 249 officially canceled. My guess is we're going to see Khabib versus Ferguson. We're probably going to see it this year. I think they're going to go back to that. I think in the next few months, once everything kind of passes over, we're going to see them uh, make that fight. And we're going to get that fight that we've waited for. It's going to be a great fight. I like both of these fighters. I'm Both of them, you know, Khabib isn't necessarily the most exciting fighter, but he is a good fighter, a great fighter, undefeated. Tony Ferguson has won, I don't know, what is it, like 16 fights in a row? You'll have to correct me on that one. It was going to be an interesting fight. I look forward to it, and I think they're going to make that happen uh, probably, uh, you know, as soon as we're able to get things back to normal. That's that. That would be my guess. WrestleMania is come and gone. This year's WrestleMania was probably the most unique professional wrestling experience that anybody's ever seen. Certainly when it comes to WrestleMania. We're used to seeing this thing take place in domed stadiums with 80, 90, 100,000 people. But not this year. This year, They held WrestleMania from the WWE Performance Center in Orlando, Florida, in front of a grand total of zero people. And I don't know about you, but I was just as curious as the next guy to see what they did. Two matches in particular I want to talk about, maybe a third if we have time, but we'll see. One of the things that we all were kind of looking forward to, I think, or whether it was with interest or disdain or however you want to put it I think we could all say we were looking forward to two matches in particular the Boneyard match and the Firefly Funhouse of course it had kind of gotten out that they were going to pre-shoot everything and then air it kind of mixed up over two days which is another thing they've never done before I thought it was an interesting concept I don't think I would like to see every Wrestlemania go to two days but given the circumstances given the situations I think they did what they could to make the most of it and putting it out over two days you know I didn't have a problem with it it gave me two nights of entertainment instead of one so I'm not going to be too mad at that but this boneyard match between AJ Styles and The Undertaker a lot of criticism on how they built up to this thing involving The Undertaker's wife Michelle McCool kind of making her a lot of the crux of what their issue was AJ calling The Undertaker old Blaming his wife for making him continue to compete long beyond his prime and long beyond his ability to. And he caught a lot of they got a lot of criticism for that, but you know, and I can and I think rightfully so. I mean, I don't know what Michelle McCool really brought to the table. I mean, they 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 had to fish for some kind of a personal issue to build up to the match. So I get that, but I think if you just step back and you say, hey, AJ Styles wants to be called and be known as one of the greatest well if you're going to be known and want to be called and remembered as one of the greatest well then you got to get in the ring with one of the greatest and regardless of how old the undertaker is and what you think about his performance or his ability to perform he is one of the greatest of all times and anytime 
another competitor gets to step in the ring with him, that is a big deal. So they could have built the match on that alone, and I think it would have been all right. But they added in the, Mich the Michelle McCool thing and blah, 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 and calling each other by their shoot names, quote-unquote. And uh, we found out that they were going to have a boneyard match, and it was going to be a theatrical type of a match. And so I was looking forward to this. I was curious to see what they were going to do, how they were going to do it, what the finished product was going to look like. I mean, we knew that the WWE was going to go out of their way to make sure that it was a top-flight production, that everything that was done was done immaculately, and it was. It looked great. It was crisp. It sounded good. I liked a lot of the shots. I liked the way it was shot. I liked the fact that we were able to hear what the wrestlers were saying. I think that added a lot to it. I, I thought it was... Uh, cool how they used Gallows and Anderson. I didn't really care for the druids coming out of the coming out of the uh, barn or whatever that was, but you know it, it was a good it was a good fight and I think it I think allowing the Undertaker to talk and AJ to talk really brought a lot to the table. One of my favorite points of the whole match that I thought was really cool was when the Undertaker was kind of just holding AJ up and slapping him on the face and saying, you did good kid. And, and AJ's just like mumbling, don't, don't bury me. Don't bury me. And, you know, I, th I feel like that added a lot to it. I mean, I think when the undertaker gets to be himself, I think it really adds a lot to his character. I think it adds a depth to his character. That's not always there, you know, and kind of just to step back a little bit, that go home promo that he did, you know, a lot of people loved that promo and thought it was great. I didn't like it. I didn't think it was that great. I mean, I just didn't. I mean, I think that it felt robotic, almost like he was reading off of cue cards. And I hate to even say that about The Undertaker. He's one of my favorite wrestlers of all time. I think, you know, he's a lot of people's favorite wrestlers on, on people's uh, favorite wrestler list. But, you know, the promo to me just wasn't that great. I think it would have been better if he would have just been able to open up and talk as himself. Like we've seen him, like we saw him do during the actual uh, match. I think it would have been better than this kind of trying to still talk in Undertaker voice and kind of slowed down and methodical. Uh, you know, the Undertaker got to a point where he could cut some good promos there when he was big evil. And, uh, you know, I think if we would have been able to get to that a little sooner, like we did in the actual match itself, you know, it could have been a little bit more compelling. They chose not to go that route, but I think the end result was still a good thing. Um, one thing that I can always do without is teleportation. And The Undertaker just teleported from the grave to behind the front loader or behind AJ Styles. I think we could do without do without that. AEW, runt teleportation. Or I guess they came back and they said it was a uh, it was a hologram of Matt Hardy teleporting from the top of the uh, stadium to the bottom. But uh, that's definitely something that we don't need in pro wrestling. And I'm a, I'm a broken Matt Hardy fan. So, but, you know, I, anyway, back to uh, the Boneyard match. I, overall, I thought it was a good match. I enjoyed it. Do I want to see things like this all the time? No. Do I want to see it once a month? No. Once, twice a year? Yeah. I mean, I think we could do that. I think once or twice a year, I think we could do that. I think it would be okay. They definitely show that they can bring it. They can make it look great. Um, but, you know, like I said, I don't I don't think that we'll need to see things like this consistently or multiple times a year. 
once, maybe twice a year. If that, if that. The flip side of this theatrical presentation was the Firefly Funhouse between Bray Wyatt and John Cena. This was another interesting uh, match that I know a lot of people were curious to see how they put this thing together. What is a Firefly Funhouse match? Was it going to be a big street fight? Was it going to be a hardcore match? Kind of in the vein of the TNA uh, clock Ravens Clockwork Orange House of Fun match or whatever he called it. But it was not that. In fact, it wasn't even a match at all. It was basically like one big long vignette. Um, and there were some cool aspects to it. I like the NWO aspect. I like the callback to WCW and Monday Night Nitro. The old Eric Bischoff clips. John Cena wearing the NWO gear. I like the Saturday Night Main Event feel and uh, clips that we got. The 1980s Bray Wyatt and John Cena mini promo I thought was interesting. Thugonomics John Cena always gets a pop. And let me tell you something. He went back... If John Cena, which we know he won't, and we know he's done as a full-time performer, but if he went back to Thugonomics John Cena, he would be over as a babyface. That's what got him over to begin with. If he did that again, he would be over again. And I know it's the quote-unquote PG era, which it really seems like they're kind of lightening up on that lately. You know, if he was that persona, he would probably get cheered. I think the fans would like it. I think it would be more entertaining than Super Cena. And I'm a John Cena fan. I, I like John Cena. I mean, I like Super Cena. I like Don't Give Up. I pop for John Cena. I, I'm a fan. I'm not going to lie. But uh, you know, I think if he was Thugonomics, John Cena, he'd, be a, he'd probably be a little bit more like. But anyway, back to the Firefly Funhouse. You know, it just seemed like it was a, just one big long vignette, like six weeks worth of videos or mini vignettes mashed together to make one long one they tried to tell us that it was a match there was no referee there was a three count at the end but a referee didn't count it there was no celebration at the end like it was a win for anybody i don't think it really elevated anybody one way or the other but it was different they tried it looked good it was well produced it was well made something different and i can't blame them because look if there's anything that the wwe needs right now is it's different because everything that they do is the same. And what I mean by that is the way they shoot the show, the way they work their camera, the director, the director's work is all the same. And let me give you a few examples. Every wrestler, their entrance is virtually the same exact entrance every week. Now, each wrestler has their own entrance, but they do that same entrance every single week. It's the same exact thing over and over. At the end of a match, regardless of who wins or loses, there's always a shot of one wrestler walking backwards up the ramp, looking back into the ring. And then there's a shot of a wrestler in the ring looking at the wrestler walking backwards up the ramp. And it's the same thing with every match. Back in the day, if someone won, they're hitting the turnbuckles. They're celebrating their victory. But that rarely ever happens now. We get that same shot over and over and over again. The way they conduct backstage interviews. 
It's done the same with almost anybody. You could plug pretty much anybody in there to do the backstage interviews. It would be the exact same thing. They come in, they're going to say something to the extent of, and my guest at this time, of course, borrowing from the great, late, great mean Gene Okerlund, my guest at this time, they're going to ask him a question and they're going to end with a question and then they're just going to stare off blankly into the distance instead of throwing back to the commentators, which is what would happen in an actual sporting event. And that's another thing. That's another problem. The moment that professional wrestling became a TV show about wrestling instead of wrestling on TV is when it went downhill for me. Because you could watch professional wrestling and you could you suspend your disbelief for two hours, three hours, however long it is. And it's a wrestling event that's being aired on television. Now, it's a television show that includes some wrestling. And I think that's where they've lost a lot of their fans. But anyway, just to kind of wrap up on the Boneyard and Firefly Funhouse. You know, I like them for what they were. Um, you know, again, do I want to see them every month? Do I want to see them every week? No, I don't. But pick being pick pick and choosing the right times for the right characters and the right competitors, I think it can be done right, and I think it can be meaningful. Another match I want to take a few moments to talk about was uh, Rhea Ripley and Charlotte Flair. I think a lot of people expected Rhea Ripley, or at least wanted Rhea Ripley, to walk away with the NXT Women's Championship. A lot of people were confused at the fact that Charlotte Flair would win the Royal Rumble, get the opportunity to challenge for any title that she wanted, and she chooses NXT. And I mean, I guess in the minds of the WWE, that somehow elevates the NXT Women's Championship match, or uh, the NXT Championship up, to another level but I mean to me it kind of made Charlotte down a little bit and don't get me wrong because I love NXT and I think that it's it is its own brand I don't view it as a quote-unquote minor league anymore but it, I, I don't know I just thought it kind of weird to have someone win the Royal Rumble and then challenge not for Raw not for Smackdown but for NXT but hey Again, I guess I shouldn't be too critical because here they are doing something different. And what am I crying for, right? Something different. But anyway, it was a great match. It's like expected. Probably the, it was probably the best match of, the, of the, both nights, if we're honest. I thought it was a great match. Rhea Ripley, to me, really exceeded any expectations that I would have had for her. Um, you know, if you follow me on Twitter, at MajorityMMA, you know that I, I like Rhea Ripley. I think she a, has a big future. I think she is a talented uh, superstar, but I just don't. I think they pushed her a little soon. I don't think her promo is main event level yet. I think she comes across a little bit robotic at times, which you could say the same thing about Charlotte, I guess. But, you know, I feel like, and a lot of people I think believed that or, or wanted uh, Rhea to win. I think they felt like it would have built Rhea for her to beat Charlotte. And uh, Charlotte comes out the winner of this match. She walks out the NXT two-time NXT Women's Champion, uh, two-time NXT Women's Champion. And here's a lot of people getting upset now, saying that this is knocking Rhea down. It's hurting Rhea. It's hurting her status, or you know whatever, however you want to put that. 
But I don't think that's true. I think Rhea went out there and she had a great match. And she she really showed me, who was kind of a doubter, that she can hang. She can hang with the best of the best. She can hang at the top level. She went to WrestleMania, wrestled one of the top two or three women in the company, and put and was a part of probably the best match of the entire weekend. So if that doesn't elevate somebody, I don't know what will. I mean, the mark of a great professional wrestler is that they can walk out of the ring having elevated themselves and lose. I mean, think about Shawn Michaels. Think about Ric Flair. One of the things that they were so great at was they could go into a match, lose, and walk out even a bigger star than they did before they walked in in a losing effort. And I think that's exactly what Rhea Ripley did. I mean, you can be disappointed that Charlotte won, and you can say, oh, it's the same old, same old over and over. But look, we don't know where they're going with this thing. We know Io Shirai just won that ladder match, so we'll see where they go. I mean, it's not what they do. It's what they're going to do. That's the most important thing, so we'll see. Uh, Rhea Ripley has some visa issues, so I don't think she'll be back anytime soon. And plus, we've got this whole, you know, shutdown thing. The, the country shut down, so maybe they'll take some time with it. They'll go slow. I hope they don't rush a match between EO and Charlotte. But I think the best thing for them to do right now is for them to just build up other contenders. And at the next takeover, whenever we're back to normal or back to some sim similarity of normal, you know, then they they have built up a challenger for Charlotte. And then they that's the time that they take her off. Maybe around SummerSlam, maybe Survivor Series, somewhere around there. And then Charlotte can just go back to Raw and everything can go back to normal. Let's take a look at the news. A little bit of the latest news in MMA and professional wrestling. I guess one of the big things that's been going around the circuit right now is a little bit more hatred for Ronda Rousey. She's out here making comments like this one. Anyone who is outraged by me calling pro wrestling fake fights for fun has never been in a real fight. While you all are tiptoeing around, bruising some pro wrestlers, huge soft egos, no one is thinking about all the real fighters you're insulting when pretending pro wrestling is somehow on the same level of realism. Yes, I understand. Wrestling 300 days a year for years on end is incredibly tough on the body and a difficult profession. But do you know what would happen if you got in 300 real fights a year? You would be dead. <sighs> Look, it's obvious to me she's just trying to get heat. She's playing the game. She knows the wrestling fans hate her. She knows the MMA fans for a majority hate her. So why not play the part? Why not play the part? Why not build some heat? So that way, no matter what you do, you're still in the news, whether it's good, whether it's bad. I mean, I don't know who would have gotten offended by anything that she said, because let's be honest, who cares what she thinks or what she says? When she decides to go back to MMA and fight again, then we'll care. When she decides to go back to the WWE and perform again, then we'll care. But if she's just going to sit on Twitter and Instagram 
and blast out random things. I'm just not going to care about that because, to be quite frank, she's not relevant. So, when you get relevant, Rhonda, then let us know what you think, because then we'll be interested. But no, I mean, to me, she's either a huge mark or she's just trying to get heat. I hope that she's not a huge mark, which makes me believe that she's just trying to, again, rile up fans, play the part of the heel, drum up some interest in her. She says she's not coming back. I said it before she went to the WWE. I'll say it before she goes back again. It's not if, it's just when she'll be back, whether it's part-time, whether it's just for a handful of matches. I do believe she'll wrestle again. I do not believe she'll fight again. Other news, the world of professional wrestling. The Revival gets their free and clear release. Something that they've been asking for on and off for the last couple of years. I think a lot of fans have been ready for them to be set free so that they can go to AEW and see if they can try their luck over there. The Revival is a good tag team. I love their work in NXT. I was not impressed in what they did with WWE. Can't put all can't put the blame on them. I feel like they did the best that they could with what they were giving, what they were given, but just like so many other talent that get brought from NXT to Raw or SmackDown, those two shows just have no idea what to do with NXT talent. We've seen it time and time again. They didn't know what to do with the revival. They really didn't know, don't know what to do with Shinsuke Nakamura, Asuka. I mean, the list goes on. And it's a shame because these are talented, these are talented performers. The Revival is a great tag team. They were on a run there where people were really legit thinking that this is the best tag team of this generation. And they just come up to the Raw or SmackDown and they just keep getting pushed lower and lower on the card. To the point to where they're basically just an afterthought. It's frustrating to fans. It's frustrating to fans of of them. It's definitely got to be frustrating to them. But their release has finally come. And it is a free and clear release. Which means they are free to sign with anybody. Anytime that they want. And show up as soon as they want. They don't have to wait or a 30, 60 or 90 day no compete clause. They're free to go directly into another company. And show up on their TV. Um, but you know, we'll see. I mean, obviously AEW is the favored destination for them, but new Japan, you know, Hey, how big of a check can they write? We'll see impact wrestling. You don't think they're not going to make a call. I mean, they have a lot of options and we'll see what they do. We'll see what their name ends up being after all the trademark hassles or done and the smoke clears from that but I'll be interested to see what their next move is I like those guys I always like I said I one of my favorite NXT teams and I look forward to seeing what they do hopefully they can show up in New Japan or AEW and you know get their career to the next level whatever they may view that to be you know another question that you got to ask yourself though is I mean Everybody's kind of saying, you know, oh, let, you know, let's let's go to AEW or let's get the revival in AEW cuz you know, then they can really show what they're all about. 
But I mean, do we really think? I mean, let's just be honest. I mean, tag team wrestling, and I know AEW does what they can to try to make tag team wrestling better or more important or a bigger part of the show. But I mean, is is tag team is professional wrestling in a place where tag teams can actually be legit main event draws? I mean, we might be in a place in the world of professional wrestling where that's just not possible anymore. Tag team wrestling, you know, there's no road warriors teams out there anymore that are just bigger than life. Guys don't stay together. You know, there's very few teams nowadays that stay together for more than three, four, five years. Some shorter than that. Or, or, or the flip side is, just take two random guys, you just stick them together for a short period of time. It's, it's very rare that you have a team like the Revival where you got two guys that have been together for a long time. They've got another level of chemistry. They've got another level of, of knowing, you know, how the other, how their partner works and how they do matches. And, you know, so I don't know. It'll be interesting to see. I, I wish them all the luck and I look forward to seeing what they do, whether it's New Japan or AEW. I know everybody, probably a lot of the internet fans are going to want to see them finally get that big match with the Young Bucks. So we'll see what happens. Moving on, let's talk a little AEW. Um, AEW is consistently doing better ratings than NXT. And anytime that they lose the ratings battle, of course, everybody points to the demos. Well, you gotta you gotta pay attention to the demos. I think AEW is doing a lot of things right. I think AEW is doing some things wrong. Uh, one of the things that I really like about AEW is the fact that it's not perfect. If there's anything that I would criticize the WWE about, is it's too per- perfect. It's too overproduced. AEW is not that. You know, they still have problems. They still have sound issues every once in a while. They still miss their cues in and out of break every once in a while. And while a lot of people might get upset about that and bury them for it, I think it's fine. I like it. It's not perfect. It's gritty. It's different. It feels like a real TV show, not an overproduced sitcom. So that's the kind of stuff that doesn't bother me at all. I, I, I like the grittiness. I like the difference. I like the way it's shot. I like being able to turn on a wrestling show and see different angles from the cameras. I think they're I think they're doing a lot of good things with their top stars. Chris Jericho is probably doing some of the best work he's ever done in his career. Chris Jericho right now is cementing his place in the top 10 of professional wrestling. Before his run in AEW at New Japan, I would have probably had Chris somewhere in the top 25 to 30. After there's no doubt in my mind that he's trying to break into that he's close to breaking into the top 10. This guy is on another level. He's much watch TV when it comes to professional wrestling. I like what they've done with the inner circle. I like the group that they've built around him. Sammy Guevara is a great young talent. I think he has a huge upside. I think his stock went through the went through the roof the moment that he stopped wearing that ridiculous panda head to the ring. 
I mean, somebody had to tell him, right? I mean, I remember turning in for the first couple of AEW shows, the the pay per views that they ran, the pay per views that they ran before they debuted their show, and I'm seeing Sammy Guevara for you know like the second or third time, and he's got the panda head, and I'm thinking, man, this just looks absolutely ridiculous. But I, somebody told him, and he ditched it, and he's better for it. But no, I mean, jokes aside, this guy's great in the ring, and I think he's got a big upside. Santino and Ortiz are a great tag team. Great addition to that group. I think they're doing the right things by Jack Swagger. I mean, I think less is more for that guy. And, you know, all he's got to do is stand there and look menacing and put on good matches whenever he gets called upon. And he's done that so far. So I like what they're doing with, with the inner circle. I like what they're doing with Jericho. Cody Rhodes has taken his game to another level. Even though I could kind of do without Brandy. I think she's on TV a little too much. But, you know, whatever. Uh, Cody is cutting some great promos. He's putting on some great performances, having some great matches. I think he's solidifying himself as a main event superstar in professional wrestling. I like what they're doing, of course, with John Moxley, though it was a little bit of a slow build. Of course, he's their champion now. But I think John Moxley is getting the opportunity to be what he could not be in the WWE, and he's taking every advantage. He's taking every opportunity to do that. I like what they've done with him. I like what they're doing with Hangman Page. I did not like. Uh, I did not think he was ready to uh, challenge, to be the one of the first guys to challenge for the championship there you know in the inaugural uh, championship match I didn't think he was ready for that I thought they were pushing him a little too soon but they kind of dialed it back a little bit they brought him back and they built him back up and I like the direction they're going with him I think he's getting over whereas before he was not I think Dustin Rhodes has been good of course MJF has been excellent one of the best promos in the business one of the best heels in the business uh, I like his second and Wardlow. Um, I think he is good for what he does. So let's talk about things that I don't like. And probably first on that list is the Dark Order. <laughs> the Dark Order, to me, was a terrible idea from the beginning. And I remember the first time I saw the Dark Order, okay? They did the little thing where they turned the lights off and the creepers are there. They turn the lights off again, and there's more creepers. Lights off again, more creepers. And I thought, what is this? I don't even know who these people are. And then, you know, at that point, a lot of the problem with the commentary was the commentary was talking about the guys like everybody should know who they are. And I had no idea who they were. I didn't know who Evil Uno was and or whoever the, and the other guy, whatever his name is. I don't even remember it off the top of my head, but... I think this has been a mess up from the very beginning. They were not getting over. And in my opinion, I don't still don't think they're getting over. And I don't think it has anything to do with their ability to perform. And I, it's not that they're not trying. They're not working hard. I just think it's a bad gimmick. I think it's a bad idea. And then you have this bad idea. And you sign a guy like Luke Harper, now Brody Lee. You bring him in, you stick him in there, you basically just set the guy up to fail. 
you saddled him with a terrible gimmick. You know what I would have liked to have seen him do? If they were going to go that way, they did. They should have shaved the beard, gave him a haircut, brought him back completely different. You remember when Johnny Polo left the WWE, went to ECW and became Raven? How blown away everybody was by the change in the look that this guy made? That's what I think they should have done with Luke Harper if you know, they went this way. Instead, they just brought Luke Harper in basically as Luke Harper, except they call him except they call him Brody, except he wants to be called Brody Lee now. He's got different outfit, wrestling gear, which is extremely cheesy in my opinion, by the way. So I'm not a fan of the Dark Order. The little vignettes that they do at the dinner table where they're trying to spoof Vince McMahon to a degree. Look, if you don't read Dave Meltzer or you don't listen to Conrad Thompson or Bruce Pritchard, you probably don't even know what's supposed to be funny about those. And they're not funny, even with the inside jokes. And look, it's not, it's not the performer's fault, okay? It's not that they're not giving everything that they have to make it work. I believe AEW is doing everything that they can to try to make it work, to try to get it over. I just think it's a miss. That's my opinion. At majority decision, if you disagree. Or at majority MMA. Another thing that I don't really care for is I don't like the women's division. And that's not really anybody's fault. It's just they picked the best of what they could, and they ended up with a lot of people that aren't ready a lot of performers that aren't ready for primetime television. And, you know, that just is what it is. I don't think I've seen a good women's AEW match yet. Or one that I thought was good. Rio, who was a 85-pound world champion, it's just not believable to me that she could defeat women regularly that are three times her size. And you might say, well, Rey Mysterio has been doing it for for years. That's Rey Mysterio. Please don't compare Rio to Rey Mysterio. They have some talent there, and it's going to take time to build up that women's division. I'm willing to give them that time, but they got to be smart with it they got to be smarter with it. They can't be giving these performers too much time. They send out these wrestlers. They give them 12 minutes, and it's they're just not ready for 12 minutes on primetime TV. They're not ready for eight minutes on primetime TV. You know what they should be doing? They should be sending Nyla Rose out there every week and having her smash whoever they can put in front of her in three to five minutes, that's what they should be doing. They should she, if, if I'm booking the AEW women's division, I'm having Nyla Rose smash everybody that she can until I build up a return for Awesome Kong. And then I set up a match between Nyla Rose and Awesome Kong for the pay-per-view. Nyla Rose beats Awesome Kong. You could even have Awesome Kong beat Nyla Rose, take the belt, and run the rematches. That, I think, is the direction that they should go with that. Because, I mean, let's just be honest. Is there anybody that they have in that division that could believably beat Nyla Rose? I don't think so. 
before you butcher me about believability, don't forget that this is professional wrestling. It's supposed to be. This is what AEW sold us on was a sports presentation, which if you really, really want to be honest, they haven't really given us that. But, you know, I'm, again, it's 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 not I'm not trying to knock the the performers. It's just to me as a fan, when I see them on there, I don't feel like they're ready. And you can say that about a lot of people that they put on NXT too, and even on WWE, on Raw and SmackDown. It just stands out more in AEW because there are more wrestlers that aren't ready, and it's taking time. I mean, a lot of them still looked indie-rific for like the first month or two months of the TV show. They had their old indie gear, which a lot of them have upgraded their gear. A lot of them, like someone like um, Darby Allen. Darby Allen is a guy who uh, is getting better every week. Carries himself like a star. He he looks like a star. He's a little small, but I think you know. I think the skateboard thing, riding the skateboard thing down the down the aisle, is different. You know, he's got a different look. He's got a different uh, attitude about him. You know, I, I I like it. So we'll see what they do with him. I think they continue to build him. I think Orange Cassidy is a guy that a lot of people didn't understand, but I think they get it now. You know, I mean, I I'd had heard about Orange Cassidy for a while. I'd seen some of his work, not a lot of it. When I first saw him, I thought, this guy's, you know, I don't know about this, but I get it. And it's different. He looks different. Everything that he does is different. Let me tell you something, to be able to do some of the things that he does with his hands in his pockets... That's impressive. And the match that he had with Pac, who was another positive for AEW, that was a great match. That sold me on Orange Cassidy. So, you know, AEW's got hits and misses just like any other wrestling promotion. They've got momentum on their side. They've got a strong, rabid fan base that's behind them. And, uh, you know, they're only going to go up. They're only going to go up from here. So to kind of wrap up the show, I want to do a little segment. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this every show, probably to end every show. A little segment that I want to call "Do You Remember That Time When?" And on this week's edition of "Do You Remember That Time When?" I want to ask you this: Do you remember that time when Rowdy Roddy Piper defended the Intercontinental Title against Bret the Hitman Hart at WrestleMania Seven? That is probably one of my all-time favorite WrestleMania matches. If I had to make a list, I was there for WrestleMania 25, and I saw Shawn Michaels versus The Undertaker, so that is uh, unquestionably my number one favorite match of WrestleMania. Probably the greatest WrestleMania match of all time, and I don't really think it's... Honestly, I don't think there's an argument to be made against it. But this match between Rowdy Roddy Piper and Bret Hart, what a story they told. What a story they told. And one of the great things about this buildup was they told a story in the buildup. They told a story in the interviews leading up to the match. Let me just take you back a little bit. I, you know, I didn't do any research. This is all off the top of my head. So you have to forgive me if I might get a little mixed up or not. But you can find a lot of their interviews on YouTube. And just kind of give you a little bit of background. Bret Hart, of course, won the Intercontinental title in 1991. That great match he had at SummerSlam with Mr. Perfect. But he lost the Intercontinental title a few weeks before the Royal Rumble to the Mountie. 
and Roddy Piper stepped in at the Royal Rumble and defeated the Mountie and became the Intercontinental Champion. And so they're setting up the rematch, or not the rematch, but the match for Bret Hart to get a shot at his Intercontinental title against the now champion, Rowdy Roddy Piper. And so they call them both out. Mean Gene does a series of interviews with them. And uh, basically, Roddy says, you know, I, I have a lot of respect for your family. I got a lot of respect for you. And, you know, we're basically cousins, I think they say. And the first interview, I think Roddy comes out and he says, I'm just, I'm not going to fight you. Uh, you know, I'll defend the belt, but I'm not going to defend it against you. It's just... You know, I got a lot of respect for your family, got a lot of respect for you, and I just, I'm not going to fight you. And so, of course, Brett is like, no, man, I, you know, I want my title shot. I want, I earned it, I deserve it, and uh, I want to beat the champion. And so I think they come back another week, and Roddy's still going on about how he respects the family and how they go back so far and how he doesn't want to fight him. And, you know, if they're going to try to make that match happen, then Roddy would just rather give the belt up. He'd just rather just hand the belt over to Brett and just call it even. But Brett, being the champion that he is, being the competitor that he is, he's not going for it. So he's going to tell Piper, no, I'm not taking the belt. I want to beat you for it. I want to earn it. So we need to have this match at WrestleMania. And so Roddy Piper basically is kind of trying to tell the story that he doesn't want to go where he would have to go in order to defend that title against his friend, his cousin, a guy who has a lot of respect for his family. He doesn't want to have to go to that place to be, that he would have to go to defend that belt. And in a lot of the interviews leading up to it, you'd see Piper have a chair. He'd have a chair in his hand, and Brett would turn his back, and Piper would raise the chair like he's going to hit Brett in the back, and Brett would turn around, and he'd take that step back and look at Piper. And Piper would just lean over into the microphone and say, I could have had you, Brett. I could have had you. And that they did that kind of back and forth with a couple of different instances. And Piper would tell him, I could have had you, Brett. I could have had you. And so then they lead it up to the interview right before the match there uh, at uh, the Hoosier Dome there in Indiana. And it's Piper and Brett. And they have a face-to-face -face interview. And all the time, Piper's kind of sticking his hands down the belt you know he's got the intercontinental belt around his waist and you know it kind of looks kind of weird but they're kind of talking back and forth and piper's talking about the sandwiches that uh mrs hart used to make and how she used to make the sandwiches for all the kids and this and that and how he respects and loves the family and you know brett's just kind of being cool and calm and they kind of get through with the interview piper turns to walk away and brett grabs him by the arm and he lifts his fist up and he says i would have had you and Piper pulls his hands out from behind the belt and he has his other belt wrapped around his fist. And he says, no, you wouldn't have. No, you wouldn't have. He rips the belt off, puts it over his shoulder and says, she be mine. And they go out and have a great match in which Bret Hart walks away with the Intercontinental title. Man, professional wrestling does not tell stories like that anymore. The little nuanced stories that build over a period of time. That's a thing that professional wrestling is missing, and I hope that they can find a way to get it back. But man, if you have time to go and check out some of those interviews leading up, I'm sure you can find them on YouTube, maybe the WWE Network. Go check out that match at WrestleMania 7 between Roddy Piper and, and Bret Hart. There's a lot of, uh, a lot of drama in it, and uh, Piper uh, acting like he's going to cheat and deciding not to. And That's uh, just a great match, great story throughout the whole thing, and 
So that, that's my do you remember that time when for this week. I want to thank everybody for taking the time to download this podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. And I'm going to try to see if, see about putting out some more podcasts. If, if you like it, I hope you'll tell a friend about it. And I hope you'll uh, subscribe on iTunes or however you listen to it. I hope everybody's doing well. I hope you stay safe. And I just want to encourage everybody and let you know, hey, we're going to get through this. We're going to get through this COVID-19 thing. We're going to come out stronger. Tough times don't last forever, but tough people do. Hang in there. Everything's going to be all right. I'm Greg, the Majority Decision. I hope you have a great week. We'll see you next time.